1 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning in verse 17. But brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you, certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. So when I could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service in spreading the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials, for you know quite well that we are destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted, and it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labors might have been in vain. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you no longer see us just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our holy Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Lord, I ask that you would open our ears to hear what you want to say to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you welcome Nathan to the stage? So we are in week two of our series through First Thessalonians on faith, hope, and love. And uh, my grandpa Dave, who you saw earlier, uh, introduced us to the book last week. He introduced us to uh, these theological virtues, and he ended his sermon by asking us how God's spirit and word will continue to change us. Uh, he emphasized our work produced by faith, our labor prompted by love, and our endurance inspired by hope. And so today, uh, with the, the text that we just heard Brian read, um, I want to focus in on one specific way that God's spirit and word continue to change and mold us. Um, and that's through the experience of suffering, which is a great topic for a first-time student preacher, suffering. So it should be pretty fun. I'm excited for it. Um, so this morning, we're going to ask the questions, what is the antidote for suffering, and how do we endure that? So before we jump in, uh, I just want to... Uh, pray. So if you bow your heads with me. God, I thank you for the chance to come together today and to uh, hear from your word. I pray that your spirit would guide our hearts and minds and the message this morning so that we can know you um, and see you more clearly. It's in your name we pray. Amen. 
Well, my grandpa spoiled this story a little bit, but on August 1st, 1999, I don't know where you guys were, but I was trying very hard to stay alive. I was um, a bit of a surprise, a prankster from a young age, I guess, and so uh, I decided to make an early appearance. My mom suffered uh, a placental abruption, which uh, is a very scary thing from what I understand. Um, and miraculously, she also went into early labor at just the right time so that I was able to be born somehow. I made it. Um, she tells me that the doctor called it the most atypical delivery he'd seen in his 20 years as a doctor. Uh, and even once I emerged into the world, the struggle was not over. I had a seizure when I was one day old. Uh, I was plugged into all sorts of tubes and ventilators because I couldn't breathe or do pretty much anything. Um, and so I was in the hospital for the first three weeks in the NICU. Um, and I was, uh, even after I was released, I was making frequent visits back to the hospital for the first couple years. Uh, obviously, I don't remember any of this, but I know that I was in a lot of physical turmoil, and I know my parents were in a lot of mental and emotional turmoil throughout this whole period, and I was fully dependent on the doctors in the hospital to keep me alive. Um, so as we talk about suffering today, I want to use this metaphor that suffering is a lot like being stuck in the hospital. We've all been sick at some point, I would imagine, and I'm sure some of us have spent an extended period of time in a literal hospital. Um, in the, the times of suffering, we lose control, and we worry, and we maybe think our situation is only getting worse. Um, it's not fun to be stuck there, whether it's a literal hospital or a figurative one in this case. Um, so before we jump into our text today, I want to make sure that we have a, a biblical understanding of suffering. That's an important foundation, so we know what to expect. And there are a lot of different opinions and teachings on suffering out there. Just this last week, Brian and I were actually uh, listening to a documentary about this kind of Americanized prosperity gospel teaching that God wants us to be rich and healthy all the time, to be happy by worldly standards, and that if we're not perfectly rich and healthy, we've either messed something up with him or we need to uh, name and claim our way back into security somehow. And that's a very boiled-down version of what this is, and it, it's easy to see that it's kind of a silly idea, right? But when you compare that silly idea to the New Testament, it's even more clear that it's just a ridiculous idea. In the New Testament, suffering is often referred to as persecution and trials. Those are two words in this passage I'm going to use um, kind of broadly today. But persecution is a pretty specific kind of trial. You're being targeted or attacked for your faith in some way. Uh, and then trials could be any number of things. Uh, it could be just day-to-day -day struggles uh, or some life event that comes up. But that's, um, those, those both fall under the umbrella of suffering that I'll use. We've all experienced suffering in some form or another. And the bad news of the morning, we're all going to experience it again because suffering is inevitable. It's inevitable. It's going to happen to you and to me and to everyone in the room. Suffering is inevitable for Christians and for non-Christians alike just because of the, the, the general fallen state of the world under sin's influence. Um, but as, as people who call ourselves believers, we can and should be preparing for uh, even more on top of that. In our text today, uh, we see Paul being concerned for the Thessalonians. He's afraid that they have been uh, 
derailed in their faith uh, because of the persecutions that they've faced. And because of that, he sent Timothy to them. He reminds them in chapter 3, um, you know quite well that we are destined for them, destined for trials. And in fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. And the church said, yeah, it does, Paul, we know. Thanks for reminding us. But he, he was reminding them. He was making sure that they remembered, this is what you signed up for. Don't quit just because it's getting tough. Um, that makes me think of uh, the book of Hebrews has a similar theme of encouraging endurance in the early church. And Hebrews 12 compares hardship to discipline. Uh, the author writes, for what children are not disciplined by their father? Our all-knowing and infinitely wise God is able to use any of our circumstances to help us grow if we're willing to practice endurance. Okay, it's time for a quick Bible trivia pop quiz about some of the earliest followers of Christ. So I have a few simple questions, and you guys are free to holler out your answers, and I'll, I'll, I'll receive it up here. So question number one, did Peter suffer? Yeah, Jesus warned Peter about the suffering that he was going to endure. Uh, Peter was uh, imprisoned, and he was tortured for the gospel, and in the end, he was crucified upside down. So Peter definitely suffered. Uh, question number two, did John suffer? Yes. Uh, he uh, was banished to an island because he proclaimed the gospel, and in the book of Revelation, he introduces himself as your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus. Question number three, did the apostle Paul suffer? Yes, I think Paul's words are a good testimony to this. From 2 Corinthians, he writes, I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. We see a little bit of Paul's concern for the churches in our text today. But yes, very dramatically, Paul suffered. And so in light of their example, I do have one more question today. Should you expect to suffer? Yes. We might not be persecuted in the same way that Paul was, or even that our brothers and sisters around the world are today, but suffering is inevitable. Tim Keller, in his book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering, writes that suffering is at the very heart of the Christian faith. It is not only the way Christ became like and redeemed us, but it is one of the main ways we become like him and experience his redemption. So we're all going to suffer, but we do have some good news. The Father is in control even when we aren't, and he can develop and mature us through our suffering. He even gives us an antidote. He gives us a way to endure the suffering. Uh, I mentioned that faith, hope, and love are the three pillars of 1 Thessalonians, as we heard uh, last week, and ultimately all three of these come from God. They come from his spirit dwelling in us. Faith, hope, and love are separate and distinct in the way they work, in their role, and how they are, are acted out in our lives, but they're also interrelated and overlapping because you can't have one of them without also having the other two. You can't all the way have faith if you don't also have hope and love with it. 
Um, and as we heard last week, these are the roots that produce the fruit of our work that motivate us to continue and endure. So faith, hope, and love all wrapped together are the antidote for our suffering. And now, more clarification. It's important to note, an antidote is not a vaccine, and it's not an immunization. Antidotes just counteract the poison that's already in your system. So if you're using an antidote, it's assuming you're already in trouble, right? Again, emphasizing, you still have to go through the inevitable trials. So if we have our antidote up here, and we're laying in our hospital beds, we still need the little tube and the needle to get the medicine in us, right? Uh, Mark Jones, he's a pastor and an author, writes that the theological virtues of faith, hope, and love cannot be properly cultivated by the individual alone. We require the household of faith to spur us on in our Christian walk. So church, you're all the needle. You're all the tube and the needle for each other. And this household, this family, is the vehicle for faith, hope, and love. Because faith, hope, and love expressed in community are the full antidote for our suffering. And while each of our individual relationship with God is super important, I don't want to overshadow that at all, these theological virtues are shared and deepened together in the family. So in our text today, uh, we got to see a lot of Paul's emotional state concerning his church family. He was anxious to see them again. He was worried that they had been derailed in their faith. And in the end, his concern for them, his love for them, motivated him to send Timothy to check up on them. Uh, now, 1 Thessalonians 2.19, I think is kind of interesting. It's where he writes, For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? That Greek word for crown uh, means victor's crown. And it's, it was a word for the award that an athlete would get when they won a competition or finished a race. And that's interesting because time and time again throughout Paul's writing, he uses the metaphor of running a race to talk about suffering. And now here he is saying that when his suffering is over, when he's celebrating with Jesus at the finish line, his award that he'll get from Jesus is the church, is this spiritual family. It makes me think of Paul's second letter to Timothy down later uh, in his ministry. And he writes, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Paul is looking forward to this completed community with hope. Uh, but the people on their own aren't the point of the hope, right? The community is valuable because God is dwelling in it. Now if we backtrack, before the crucifixion in John's gospel, Jesus prayed that the Father would unify the church through the Holy Spirit. Now if you've been in the church for any length of time, that's kind of an easy sentence to be like, yeah, okay, I get that, and, and move on, right? That makes sense. But I wanna take a second and emphasize that because it's kind of crazy and awesome and it's pretty important. Because God the Son asked God the Father to send God the Spirit to unify the church to make us one just as he is one. And we could spend the rest of forever talking about the theology of the Trinity, but because I am your student preacher and I am not making your sermon schedule, we're not going to do that. So you can take that one up with Brian if you want to. Uh, but <laughs> I wanted to uh, just emphasize that we have the perfect model 
of relational unity in the Trinity at work in us to make us like him and we are created in his image. And that's just, that's just mind-blowing to me. And that means that when we're suffering, we don't just have people around us who visit us in the hospital temporarily and then leave, right? We have doctors. We're surrounded by doctors who all have the same spirit dwelling inside them that we have in us. And we're not in some sterile white room that reeks of, I don't know, medicine and antibiotics, but we're in our living room on our couch. And this is a family of doctors who know us and care about us. And there are some times uh, when we're actually sick that solitary confinement or quarantine are the right options, right? Because you don't want to spread your germs around, so you have to be isolated. But with suffering like this, isolation is usually the worst place to be. The community of the church sets an example, and they encourage you, and they, they provide wisdom when you need it. And sometimes they literally just pump you full of chicken noodle soup if you have a cold. So we need the community. And in this community, our faith, hope, and love are more contagious than our suffering. And so Paul's anxiety for the church uh, is relieved when Timothy comes back from the Thessalonians with a good report about their faith and their love. And they find out the church missed Paul just as much as he missed them. In chapter 3, verses 7 through 9, he writes, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live, since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? The example of the faith in the church was an encouragement to Paul, just as he was writing to them to encourage them in their faith. You see the the mutual support here? We really do need each other. Some of you might know that I am super introverted. Uh, A while ago, I took a personality profile test, and the the first results had me at 98% introverted. And since then, I've worked long and hard, and I got that number down to 92%. So I'm making progress. (laughs) We're getting there. Uh, (laughs) uh, But it's needless to say, Uh, (laughs) for a long time, I thought community was just a a superficial Christianese word that didn't really mean anything. But I found out that it was just because I hadn't invested in it properly. Uh, It's easy to think that we can really live on our own. But that's not what we were created for. I'll still be the very first person to advocate for silence and solitude. Uh, But we really live in community. So if any of you are loner types out there today, hear this introvert's testimony (laughs) about the importance of this family. So we've looked at our affliction, which is suffering, and we've looked at our antidote, which is faith, hope, and love, all together expressed in community. But what actions do we take from here? If we're going to head out of the hospital, what's the prescription on our doctor's note? Uh, We need a plan for this faith, hope, and love And because we're talking about those three things, I want to incorporate three things, uh, our head, our heart, and our hands, into our daily actions. For your head, I want to tie this to faith. In just a few minutes, we're going to have some time to uh, pray and to reflect. And so I would um, encourage you to just spend that time inviting the Holy Spirit um, to, to guide you. And then going forward from here, I definitely encourage you to study faith, hope, and love in Scripture. There, it's all over the place. You can't miss it. Uh, and as you expand from there, uh, 
find other sources. I quoted a couple today, and I, they should be in the bulletin, um, some, some sources that have been helpful to my understanding. Um, and that understanding is an important foundation for action. Um, so, so as you study, uh, just remember that all our understanding ultimately has roots in our faith in God. For our heart, it makes sense to tie this one to love. Uh, we need to be exhibiting a heart of hospitality. Uh, we need to be willing to support people when they come to us in need, when you're the person who's equipped to be the doctor for someone in the church. Sometimes this is just as simple as listening empathetically, right? Um, but we need to be willing to offer that support. Now, on the other side of that, what's often more difficult, we need to be willing to receive support when we're the ones in need. And we need to be willing to ask for it. Paul tells the Thessalonians that he will come to supply what's lacking in their faith, uh, which implies that they're going to be receptive to his help once he gets there. So rather than staying superficial, we need to invest in each other. In both directions, these interactions should be founded in mutual love. For your hands, we act out our endurance through our lives, and so this one is tied to hope. Uh, there are so many ways to put this into practice. I think it is maybe most normal, maybe not easiest, to see our hope highlighted in times of a crisis. And those are the times that we, we need to remember our future hope and our present security. Um, when, when loved ones pass away, when relationships fall apart, and when life gets out of control, those are times that we are able to lean on that. But it's also worth mentioning that we don't have to wait for a crisis to start acting out that hope. We can look forward to our, our victor's crown today. So don't wait to build community. We should, we should be pre preparing now. And I have to pat you guys on the back. Highland Park has been a really great example of this community uh, in the time that I've been here. It's been really great to work alongside a lot of you at BBS and to have meals with several of you, um, with myself and the other interns. Shout out to Angie Crosser for making the, the meal train system. Um, it reminds me of the, the Proverbs Breakthrough Challenge, which Brian mentioned. Um, a super easy and biblical way to, to act out this heart of hospitality is just by sharing meals together. Um, so let's not wait until we're in the chaos of suffering to realize that we need each other. Relational unity we has modeled off of God is absolutely necessary for us in the body of Christ. So don't unplug from that. And as we find ways to express this antidote to suffering, like our worship night on Thursday, for example, uh, that is also a witness to those outside the church who don't know God. I don't know if you've noticed this, but our culture is desperately searching for faith and hope and love in all sorts of different places, whether or not they are willing to admit that's what they're looking for. And so our relational unity is as attractive as it is necessary. We get to be examples of that. And uh, we remember the examples of the apostles from earlier. The way that they handled suffering was a powerful testimony to their early church. Uh, and we, we can imitate their example of suffering because they were following Jesus' example, ultimately. So we're in good company when we're facing trials. Jesus took the punishment that we deserved as a penalty for our sin. He had faith to say to the Father, not my will, but yours he had hope to look forward to resurrection. He had love to lay down his life for us. 
He alone experienced complete isolation and abandonment on the cross. And it's because of his suffering in our place that we can endure our suffering now in community with faith and hope and love. And we can know that the Father uses discipline for our good. Uh, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, which has been given to us. So no matter how long you've been a follower of Christ today, we're all still growing in relationship with him. Uh, And in our time of uh, reflection today, I just encourage you to open your heart and your mind to the Spirit's guidance uh, and ask how you can embrace the justifying faith and and abounding love and liberating hope uh, in your life more today. So I just want to take a moment and uh, have some time for prayer and reflection right now. And now, uh, in light of today's text, um, I'd also encourage you to share together and and our friends and family in this room, Um, whether it's something that's been on your mind today, something God's been putting on your heart the last few weeks, whether it's something you need to invest in someone else or just listen, uh, I'd encourage you to just share together in this room, whether that means moving around or not. Um, And uh, I think this is just a time to be open and to invest in each other well. If you're visiting with us this week and you're as introverted as I am, no pressure. Feel free to write down some thoughts and you can share with someone later if you want to. Um, And we'll have people up front with our prayer team who can uh, meet and pray with you. They'd love to do that if you would like to meet with them. But I just want to create some space as we go into our time of worship to share together as a family. So I just invite you to, to do that with us now.